question for tonight. You got your Bible out? Uh, take a look at 1 Peter 1. We're going to get there. Question, because you know I love to start off with questions. Have you ever wondered what it means that a holy God says, hey, I'm holy and you ought to be holy too? That's what we're going to talk about tonight. For me, that was really an upsetting passage of Scripture in 1 Peter 1, I think it's verse 15, when I was in college. Whenever I heard the word holy, I felt like failure. Uh, whatever holy was, I was not. There was no way that I and myself was going to attain the moral character and behavior that God possessed. Whatever holy was, I knew I was a loser. Anybody else felt the same way? Yeah. In fact, during my college years, my biblical theology was so poor, I thought that each time I sinned, God kicked me out of his kingdom until I asked for forgiveness. Anybody else thought that kind of thing? Yeah. I really don't think that's true. And we'll kind of have a look at that tonight. Um, I remember painful years of guilt, confusion theologically about what God thought of me when I, when I was in college, when I was doing sinning. I struggled repeatedly with swearing, masturbation, and a million other sins. Anybody relate? How could God possibly keep forgiving me? I mean, this was the 18th time this week I had sinned. I had those thoughts. How could a holy God look on me with favor when I kept dishonoring him with my sin, with my choices? I was ashamed. Ever felt like that? Is this what God is calling his people to? A life of guilt and shame? Feeling like failures? Disappointments? Living in confusion about, does God care for me anymore? Am I on the outs or am I on the ins of God? Is he calling us to a life of never living up to expectations? A weekly experience of falling short, of failing? Are we doomed to endlessly say, there's no way I can be like God. No way I can spread his image on this earth. Well, after that exciting beginning, I have some encouraging news. Hmm. I do not think that this life of guilt and shame and endless failure is what God is talking about at all when he calls us to be holy, just like him. Would you like to know what I think holiness is all about? Okie dokie. Tonight's message, in case you're the kind of person that is writing down things, and we are a note-taking culture, so you know your neighbor's probably wondering why you aren't writing things down. Or why your phone isn't out and you aren't clicking. Okay, so the message tonight is called Holying with God. Because I think we need a new term. I think we need to see things differently. So we invented this idea of holying to get across the message tonight. How do you like it? Are you ready to do some holying with God? Okie dokie. That's the second time I've said that. I don't believe I've ever said that in 30-some in years of ministry. So I hope 
that tonight's message is somehow encouraging. I hope it's informative. I hope it'll draw you closer to God as we prepare to celebrate the Lord's Supper tonight and commune with him. I hope that is a great celebration for you remembering what God has done. I think we're going to put up the first slide. Yes, there it is. First Peter 115, be holy because I am holy. Uh, you add verse 16. No, let's re just read them both. Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. That is first Peter 1, 15 and 16. This is a direct quote out of Leviticus 19, verse 2. Think about what this might mean for you and I. Think about it logically for just a minute. If God says that he is holy and that we ought to be so too, doesn't that mean it's something that we can do? Because a God of love and power is not going to make it impossible for the children he loves to do the thing he asks of them. So it must not mean what you think it means. Direct quote from a movie that I like. Let me try to explain. So what might the word holy mean? I think it means exactly what we've been teaching all quarter. It means God created us in his image. Male and female, he created us. You know that's Genesis 1, 26 and 27. It means living the image of God. It means being a chip off the old block. It means being like dad. Capiche? I think that is the correct Italian response. I'm not sure. It means to show his character all around to everybody, to spread him throughout the earth, to make this earth look beautiful and magnificent like God himself is. Okay. What should we remember each time we study the scripture? That we need to leave our culture and our time frame behind. Has anybody taught you that yet? Okay, you can't just read the Bible. You have to do time travel. So get in your time travel machine. We're going to go back to when Peter first wrote this letter, to whom he wrote it to, okay? And we're going to see what the letter meant to them, and then we're going to find out how those eternal principles can apply to us today. You know that's how we interpret Scripture correctly? We just don't come to it and say, I think my opinion of this verse is this. That's not how you do Scripture at all. That's where a lot of Christ followers get into a lot of trouble. Scripture cannot mean to us what it never meant to them. Capiche? Okay, our text tonight is 1 Peter 1. We're going to do the first two verses. Then we're going to skip down to verse 13. And then we're going to go all the way through chapter 2, verse 1. That's a lot of reading. Okay, you think I can do it? Okay, and ask yourself the question, what might it mean to go holy in with God as we read this? 1 Peter chapter 1, the first couple of verses Remember, this letter is not written to you or me, but we get to read the mail of God's inspired letter through Peter to these guys. It says, hey, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect exiles 
throughout the provinces of Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled by his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Therefore, verse 13, <clears throat> with minds that are alert and fully sober, such an appropriate word for a college campus, set your hope on the grace that is to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Did you know Jesus will physically return to this earth again? Yeah, sure. As obedient children, there's the second time that word obedient is used. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, like the rest of the college students at Central. That's not in the text. I just added it. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. Not some of you do, all of you do. No, all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father, and we do pray to God the Father, who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. It's almost like we get to live our life here as strangers or foreigners or aliens, really like we're from somewhere else. Not like the rest of our culture, whatever one that might be. Every culture is just as good and just as bad in God's eyes. For you know that it was not with perishable things like silver or gold that you were redeemed, fancy word meaning purchased from slavery, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. Peter says that the people he's writing to, the way of life they've inherited from their ancestors is worthless. I wonder what that would mean for us today. What have we inherited from our ancestors? I wonder if Peter would say the same thing today. But with the precious blood of Jesus, a lamb without blemish or defect, a reference to all the Old Testament talking about Jesus being a sacrifice. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead. And that's what communion is all about and glorified him, and so your faith and your hope are in God, not in the American dream. There I go adding things again. Now that you've purified yourself by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Hmm, seems like holding must have something to do with love, like God loves. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. That would mean like, God's imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God. All people, people are like grass. All their glory is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Peter reminds his hearers that they have heard the gospel message about Jesus dying on the cross for their sins, being buried and rising again on the third day. Therefore, Rid yourself of all malice and deceit. I guess we get to be honest. Hypocrisy and envy and slander of every kind. I guess we get to like be like God in all these areas. Like newborn babies pure, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in salvation so that you, <coughs> so 
us so that you have tasted that the Lord is good. I think that milk, most, most theologians are going to say, is probably like God's scripture. It's how he feeds us as his children. So we are hoping tonight to discover what holying with God might be, how it applies to our lives in 2019, just like the first recipients of this letter. We're trying to figure out what was God telling them through Peter to be holy like God. To whom is Peter writing? We know from verses 1 and 2, look at him. He's writing to God's elect, those who have been chosen according to his foreknowledge, who've been sanctified by the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ. So what does this word elect mean? Was there an election? Like it's coming up in 12 months, 11 months? No, not that kind of election. From the context of 1 Peter 1 and 2, we know that the word election means the same thing as chosen. Look at it again. To the elect scattered who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. Remember recess in elementary school? Oh, the glorious days. Endless kicking and throwing and trying to get it through a hoop. That ball, that glorious ball. Do you remember hopscotch? Did you play hopscotch? Four square? Come on. Did you run races? Did you tackle? You wanted to tackle. Uh-huh. Did you punch and pull hair? What great days these were. Do you remember those awesome moments where everybody lined up and the two captains picked? Oh, sometimes those were great moments, but for most of us, they weren't. We were just praying, dear God, if you exist, not last. Help me not to be chosen last. Oh, I beg thee. Okay. God picked everybody, as it says in our next slide. No, 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 yes, no, yes. Jonathan and I are in cahoots. This is 2 Corinthians 5, 15. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. It says he, meaning Jesus, died for all. God picked all humanity to hear the gospel message, and to be saved. But, small problem, not everybody who hears the gospel wants to believe it, do they? Not all of your friends who you talk to about Jesus are all that interested, are they? Not every family member you have is interested in the Jesus that you love and serve and worship. Even your professors aren't all excited about Jesus. Only some of them. People have a free choice. Why? Because free choice is what love is all about. Love isn't love until you choose to love. Love is not a feeling. Oh, thank you. Yeah. 
Love is simply a choice. It's something we do and feelings follow. The other thing, this infatuation thing, is just chemical, a very organic thing. Yes. I hope all of your girls know that the guys look at you and think you are awesome. Oh, if they would just tell you that. Hint to you guys. Hello, guys. Wake up. Whoa, am I off track again tonight? Sorry. Um, so somewhere in there, we went from elementary school and that God picked us. We went to 2 Corinthians 5.15. He picked everybody, but not everybody responds. So Jesus didn't die for just some people, did he? No, he died for all excess. So think about this in a way that will help us understand what Peter's talking about with the word elect, to God's elect. Jesus died for all, but not all who hear the good news about Jesus will want what Jesus has to offer them. So the elect must be those who did choose Jesus back as he chose them. God knows exactly who will choose him. That's what that foreknowledge word was all about. God is never going to force anybody to join his team. Only those that he says, hey, I want you on my team. And they say, yeah, count me in. Love has nothing to do with forcing another person to do something. Should we ever force anybody else to do something? No, sir, Of course not. How are you and I doing at not manipulating others? Whoa. The word of God just kaboom. Some of us have been raised by manipulators. Yep. Some of us have learned the fine art of manipulating from the time we were about six months. We have mastered the art of conning others to do things how we want it done. Oh, nasty us. That's not love. Holding must have something to do with unlearning manipulation and learning to hold things loosely and love people and see if they're just going to respond to our request. Make a note of it. More notes. I can't say the same thing over again. Very powerful. Okay. To God's elect. This is supposedly slide three. Says back in verses one and two that the elect, like back then, the people to whom Peter wrote, do you think there's any elect today? Sure, because God has chosen all, right? You think there's any that have responded? Yep, so the elect today are those who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. That's a fancy word, sanctifying. It just means to be set apart from the others. God's Spirit set you apart, says, hey, here's the gospel. Wake up, listen. To be obedient to Jesus Christ is why he's done all these things, to be sprinkled by his blood, which is a lot about communion tonight. 
to receive the forgiveness and the cleansing that we can find only in Jesus. The erasing of the whiteboard. The guilt and shame taken away permanently. Whew. So those whom God knew would choose him back, he commanded them to live a life of following his lead and not their own. To live in this obedient kind of relationship because he's God and we aren't. So that must be part of what holying is. Because he's God and we're not, he gets to take the lead and we get to follow. That's what obedience is all about. Sort of like when you're a little tiker, you do what your folks say. And when you don't, they kind of say, yo, I said no. (laughs) To your room, you must go. Stuff like that, you know, that's what parents do. So we said that Peter was actually quoting Leviticus 19.2 when he said, uh, when he has God say, when he quotes what God says, I am holy, so you should be holy. If you read the whole chapter of Leviticus 19, which all you speed readers are doing right now, this is this verse is like a topic sentence of a very long paragraph on holying laws, what it might mean to emulate the very character of God. And what are these laws about? They're about how we relate to one another. How are you doing relating to all the other humans in a godlike way? Remember those people you were P-O'd at? P-O'd at. That's a technical biblical term for you're angry. Remember those people? How are you doing with them? Remember how God through Christ forgave you? Remember it? So what are we doing? Not forgiving them. Such small offenses compared to our offenses before a holy God. And I'm not minimizing their offenses against us because some of them are rather enormous. But so are ours before God. There's an old jazz song that says, before you accuse me, take a look at yourself. Before you accuse me, take a look at yourself. And that's what the Bible calls us to. That must be part of holying as well. So, holying has to do with how we're imaging God to each other individually and as a community. When people see Chi Alpha, are they seeing the image of God? Do they see us treating each other (coughs) the way that God (coughs) says that we ought to? Because if we do that, that becomes very attractive and people want in. Does that make sense? Sad story. Once upon a time, there was a very important man on this earth um, named uh, Mahatma Gandhi. He was going to college, and he was staying with a Christian family while he studied. And he was so desiring to understand the Christ of the Bible that he read the whole thing while he's in college. And he concluded that the family he was saying, and if they were Christians, weren't living anything like the Bible, so he didn't want anything to do with the Bible or Christianity because they were hypocritical. Think of this. 
all of India today would have been a Christian nation if that family had been living in a holy manner with God. There's a billion people in India today. Our actions count. God wants us to image him. There's things in Leviticus 19 like respecting your parents. How did you do over Thanksgiving? It also says, leave some of your harvest for the poor people to eat. How many farmers here? Okay, let's see if we can update this. How are we doing at being generous? Hmm? Yeah. So, God is not trying to kick us out of his kingdom when we didn't get along with our parents and honor them. God is not trying to kick us out of his kingdom when we haven't been generous. What he's trying to do is coach us to be loving like he is. He's not trying to shame us. He's trying to lead us to become like him. He's trying to coach us. Do you get it? And so we need to put aside this thing that God is against me. Because it says in Romans 8, 1, therefore there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. People, all of our sins, past, present, and future, are already forgiven. It is a done deal. Over. Done. Done. God has settled accounts with you once and for all. It's done. He loves you. Now he's just trying to get you to become more and more like him. He's already picked you. Now you're on his team. He's just trying to (coughs) help you learn how to kick the kickball. Run the bases. Play defense. It says in the Levitical law, like, don't steal or lie or, or, uh, yeah, don't do it. It says don't slander, hate, don't bear a grudge. Isn't this the stuff of our everyday lives that the laws are talking about? We need a new way of doing things, a godlike way. It also says you need to rebuke your neighbor honestly. How are you doing speaking the truth in love? Or you just cram it inside? And complain to somebody else about your neighbor. That's what we do, isn't it? Oops. Yeah. So these examples for Peter's readers, because they understood what he was talking about in Leviticus 19, are also examples for us today. So what is this holying with God? There should be, yeah. oh my gosh, Jonathan, you're amazing. It's relating to others how God relates to us, to himself. Relating like the Trinity. Could you just learn what it means to holy with God, what it means to be a Christ follower? It's just to act like the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who love each other perfectly. Live together in unity. Wow. Okay. What's the next slide? Genesis 1, 26 through 27. Let us make mankind in our image so that they may rule, male and female. He created them. God wants us to lead this planet the way he leads us. What's the next slide? 
It says in verse 17 that uh, we will be judged. Let's see. Let's read it just so you know I'm telling you the truth. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. What's the first thing that comes to mind when you hear the word judge? I think of like punishment for wrongdoing. But did you know that's really a subset of what biblical judgment is all about? The front side of biblical judgment is about making things right. God judges in order that the world might return to what it was supposed to be like and that we might live according to his image. If necessary, God will remove people who are in the way of keeping the world from moving that direction. So there is a judgment day and all those who don't want to live that way with the Lord and receive his love, they don't have to stay with him for eternity. So the real point of judgment is to set things right. Okay. How does this apply to you and me? And we're almost done. We need to realize that God wants us and everybody in his kingdom. He's not trying to kick us out ever. No matter what you and I do, good or bad, he is not trying to kick us out. It's not on a merit system ever. Okay? So when those thoughts come into your head that God doesn't like me, God's against me, those aren't from God. Those aren't biblical. We need to realize God wants us to image him, and so he wants to help us do that. He's not going to try to make it harder by kicking you in the rear end and telling you to get away from him. No. When we screw up, that's when, like a good parent, he just tries to get us to come near him and to receive that forgiveness and get back on track. He is not trying to kick us out of his kingdom. He, is <clears throat> he does not want us to live in daily guilt, shame. <clears throat> he already died for our sins. As far as God is concerned, our sinning is, issue is already settled. His concern is something quite different, which is growing into his image. We are his children. He will do anything to help us succeed in becoming more like him. That is why he has given us the Holy Spirit. Oh, Holy Spirit. Oh, holying with God is having the Holy Spirit in our lives and following his promptings and encouragement. Holying Spirit lives in us. Holying Spirit helps us to holying with God. That's why we build that relationship with the Spirit. Like toddlers, we're learning to walk, talk, and relate properly as we're guided by the Spirit and <clears throat> do what he says. Whew. I think we should get to our last slide. Yeah, application. How do we go about living out this holy lifestyle? We simply purify our lives by obeying the truth, and that just means we've got to get some Bible in us. Get some Bible in there. How, how about make your new goal? Have more days of the week that you read the Bible than days that you don't. Wouldn't that be cool? Build up your Bible reading muscles. The more it gets in your head, the more you start doing it. The more the Holy Spirit can bring it back to mind and say, 
this way, not that way, this way, not that way. Um, and we need to rely completely on the Holy Spirit, not ourselves. God did not set up something that we cannot do, but we cannot do it without the Holy Spirit and relying on him. Number three, we change our theology. We stop thinking we can do it by our own self. <clears throat> we start trusting the Spirit to guide us and give us all that we need. And we remember the Trinity lives inside of our body. This is interesting typing you have this time. I do not think I'm that bad of a typer. Maybe I am. Keep doing all this until it becomes a habit. The end. Why don't you take just a few minutes with your notes? But I'd like the Holy Spirit. Uh, yeah, I'd like the Holy Spirit to come. I'd like the worship team to come <laughs> right now. But the rest of you, <laughs> take some time with your notes in the Lord. Just ask him what he wants you to get out of it tonight. Let him encourage you. Let him remove all your guilt and shame. Begin to celebrate communion. Jesus died, was buried, and rose again so that we could be forgiven and so that we could live forever on this earth with him. That's worth celebrating. Let the Holy Spirit teach you the truth that God is for you and not against you. Your whole sins, past, present, and future, are already taken care of. And your job is just to hang on tight to the Holy Spirit's hand as he walks you through the day.